But before we do that, I want to uh, bring one more message in this summer series we've done on Psalms, the language of faith. And I want to share a message today that I think will, will, will lift our spirits. So that's my goal is to kind of lift the spirit and the, the perspective for all of us uh, on how we should view the, the world around us. And so I, I, I want to take the title of this summer series, which is Psalms, the language of faith. And I want to invert that title. And I want to talk for just a few minutes today about the fact that faith has a language. And I'm going to make one more case today in this series for why the book of Psalms must become your best friend. In our 21st century, globally connected world, we need to spend time regularly, in fact, I would love to say on a daily basis, in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, like no other place, models for us the language of faith. And we need to be in this book. If the 66 books of the Bible were your degree completion plan in your university of faith, the book of Psalms would be your language requirement. Language is so important that some of these statements, they're going to be so obvious it's going to sound dumb. Like, why are you even telling us this? But, but bear with me, okay? Every language that gets spoken is made up of two things. It's made up of dialect and content. Dialect is simply the localized medium for communicating the content. So it doesn't matter if it's Swahili or Norwegian or um, English or Pig Latin. The, the dialect is simply the localized means of communicating a message. And it doesn't matter if you're speaking Spanish or French or German. Every individual dialect can actually say the same message. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when people were speaking spirit-formed, spirit-powered languages, there were representatives from every surrounding nation who all heard the same language in their own unique dialect. And that can be true of any dialect. Parents can bolster the confidence and the esteem of their children, whether they're speaking Danish or Mandarin. Um, any human language can carry messages of affirmation and security or trauma and terror. Um, last week, we talked about how the human conscience is possibly one of the indicators of the image of God in us. But, but I think another indicator of the Imago Dei, the image of God, is the power of language. And you can go with me in your Bibles to Psalm 61. It's, it's going to take me a few minutes to land there, but that's where we're going to land to see an example of the language of faith. But in Genesis chapter 11, when humans had banded together to try and build a tower that reached the heavens, and God had to cut the work short because he didn't want them succeeding at the wrong goal, what did he do? He, he confused language. I mean, God realized how powerful a unified people speaking the same language, exercising that same God-like ability is. Um, it's how God chose to create. 
Um, God created with the spoken word. That's why Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The world was not created out of nothing. The world was created out of word. It didn't come from nothing. It came from word. It came from God's word. Words create worlds. Any child, any spouse who has been bullied or verbally abused by words know that shocking, jarring words can create a universe of terror at times. Um, Veronica Roth, who was the author of the Divergent series, and having, having raised young adult girls, I've read the books and seen the movies for all of the Divergent films, the Hunger Game films, the Twilight films, and, and Veronica Roth said that um, it's strange how how painful words can hit us like sledgehammers to the head. And that's true, isn't it? If someone carries the wrong message through the dialect that you communicate with, it can be like a sledgehammer to the side of your temple. Um, On on the other hand, words can bring life, can't they? Um, In fact, it says in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, Proverbs 15, 4 says, gentle words are a tree of life. So languages are amoral. They're neither good nor bad. They're simply vehicles. And the vehicles carry indescribable power. You are so dumb. You will never amount to anything. Or, I'm so lucky to have you. I wish you knew how special you were. I mean, you you hear the difference. Same dialect, entirely different message. Um, You and I are formed and informed by what we consistently hear. You know when someone has spent lots of time watching CNN or Fox News because it comes out of them. You know when someone has been immersed in negativity and cynicism and gossip and judgment. Or you know when someone has spent time in the presence of God. We were created to be formed and informed by words. And listen, this is more than just a very obvious point that I'm belaboring. I'm actually bringing this clear back to the beginning. Genesis teaches us about how we were made to function as humans. When God created humans, he did two things. The very first thing he did when he shaped them and put humans together is he breathed his image and his life into man, male and female. But the very second thing he did, immediately he started talking to them. We cannot overemphasize how important the content of the messages are that we consistently hear. The serpent said, did God really say? The serpent didn't do a little seductive dance and then point toward the forbidden tree. The serpent didn't do a round of charades. The serpent said, 
And the reason the serpent, that demonically infused being, said was because God had said. That was the way that humans were formed. And so if you're sitting in the room here, or you're watching online, you are either a person of faith, or you're at least um, considering faith enough to be sitting in a house of worship and faith today. And so since that's the case, I want to tell you one of the most important things you can ever do in life is to become fluent in the language of faith. But you know, the interesting thing about a language is that if you don't use it, you lose it. Isn't that right? How many of you took two years of French or Spanish or German in high school? And you took it and you learned it, but you'd be hard-pressed to get home from the train station if you actually had to put it in effect. And then conversely, they say that you're not actually fluent in a language until you begin to dream in that language. So if you start having dreams in French... You can say that you've become a fluent French speaker. When the content of the message gets so absorbed into you that it begins to inform your subconscious, you're fluent. Um, So what is the language of faith? Again, we'll illustrate this in Scripture in just a second, but, but what is the language of faith? First, let me tell you what it's not. Because there have been some bad explanations of the language of faith that Christians grapple with. First of all, the language of faith is not the absence of doubt. Number two, the language of faith is not perfect positive thinking or perfect positive speaking. Let me tell you what the language of faith is. The language of faith is a language that expresses absolute honesty alongside a belief in a greater reality. The language of faith is a language that expresses absolute honesty alongside a belief in a greater reality. So when my life is falling apart, faith does not say, I'm not hurting because God is still on the throne. No. No, faith is the expression of absolute honesty alongside a belief in a greater reality. See, there's a lot of crazy things happening around us. We have to know what faith does and doesn't look like. When that thing happens to us, faith says, I'm dying here. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I also know that God is still good. Faith does not say, don't mention the word cancer, even though I'm in stage four, because I'm walking in faith. That is not what the language of faith says. Faith says, I'm battling stage four cancer, and this is awful, and I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. I hate it, and I don't know if I'm going to make it, um, but I also know that cancer is not the only thing that I have. I also have a God who is greater than cancer. And he might um, cure me by touching my body or he might cure me by taking me home. But either way, cancer is horrifying. I hate it and I trust God. There's a difference. Faith is honesty about what is. And yet it's also a conviction that what is is not all that there is. There may be war, yes, 
But there is a God who is at work in human history. There may be trauma with my child, yes. But there is also a God who has taken time to count the number of hairs on their head and who gave his life for them and has committed to chasing them even to the ends of the earth if necessary to reach them. It's not a lack of faith to weep when your heart breaks. See, some people have been taught inaccurate messages about faith. Some of the messages we've heard, it sounds more like magic to me. It sounds more like human effort than actually trusting God. Hold on, if I have enough faith, if I banish every doubt, if I only say things that are positive, maybe it will come together and God will do something miraculous. That sounds like magic. That sounds like if I apply and assemble the potion just right. That doesn't sound like a relationship with a father who is the essence of love. Listen, we're not wizards. We're not trying to conjure up the miraculous based on all the ingredients that we put together just right. That's not how it's arranged. We're kids in relationship with the heavenly father who, yes, is accomplishing things in the world, who, yes, sometimes wonderfully inter intersects with our world, and who, yes, sometimes lets some terrible things go unexplained for a while. Of course, positive thinking is important. Of course, the right mindset is important. In fact, this, that comes from the scripture too. The Proverbs tell us, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. So it matters to have the right forward-thinking, positive faith perspective, but not because we're trying to jump through enough hoops to make it happen. Um, the language of faith is honest about what is, while believing that what is is not all that is. And the language of faith is most clearly expressed in the book of Psalms. So, so let's spend a few minutes in Psalm chapter 61, and I'll illustrate this. The Psalms are so brutally honest that they're almost too much for some people. The Psalms are, are almost more human than we sometimes let ourselves be. They're so unsanitized. These psalmists were willing to go to the mats with God. They would weep and lament and pout and complain and be overly dramatic. And then they'd get up off the floor, dust themselves off, and they would say things like, God's got this. And that is the language of faith. And that's the posture of faith. And so here's an example. Psalm 61 verse 1 says, Hear my cry, O God. Hear my cry, O God. The word cry here refers to a ringing cry. Specifically, this word means a cry that echoes. When you walk through a deep tunnel under the freeway on your way to the beach or wherever, don't you just have to shout, echo, just to see if it reverberates? We've been doing it for years, and we walked through the other day, and this little family coming toward us was going, echo, and trying to, that's literally what this word means. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. And our English word prayer comes from the Latin word precarious. You hear our English word precarious there. Lord, I'm in a precarious place here. I'm holding on by my fingernails. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but somehow I hope that the, the echoes of my cry somehow reverberate off the, the cliffs around me and make my way, make their way to your ear. 
Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. Um, Have you ever felt that far from God? You ever felt like he was on the other side of the planet from you? Hear my cry, O God. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. The old King James Version uses the phrase, I call when my heart is overwhelmed. And that phrase actually means... I'm done. The phrase specifically and literally means I fell down while I was running and I cannot continue. I got too dizzy in the race and I just can't go on any further. And listen, faith says that. Faith acknowledges that that emotion is, but it also acknowledges that that emotion is not all that is. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So I am going under, but there is a rock who's able to support me. See, faith stands in the middle of what is, and it speaks a greater truth. Hold on a second. I'm overwhelmed here. I don't know if I can go around the bend one more time. I I might even be going under. But in verse 3, you've been my refuge, God. You've been a strong tower against the foe. So you've rescued me before. You've been a a shelter for me in the past. And you you, you didn't stop being that. Did, Did your personality change? No. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. Oh, so so he did hear my ringing cry from verse 1. The echo did make it to the the presence of God in heaven. You did hear my cry. You have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Did you see what's already happening here? In just a very few verses, faith is starting to work. I started out holding on by my fingernails. I was fainting. I was going under for the last time. But, But now I'm suddenly remembering that I have a heritage. I have a promise that there's still a future for me. And by the way, God's not annoyed with me for crying out to him so loudly and so humanly. He actually, in this verse, refers to me as one who fears God. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. God-fearer is a high compliment in Scripture. Wow. In verse 6, increase the days of the king's life. Who's the king in this passage? David. Back up to the beginning of your psalm. This is a psalm of David. So in verse 1, David's going under, but in verse 6, David's beginning to think about tomorrow. And, And not just tomorrow. He says, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. If you ever get to the point in your prayer times when you begin praying for the next generation, you know that you're on the way out of the pit. If you get to a point where you can pray for the people that will follow you, you know that faith is working in you and faith is lifting you up and bringing you into a new place. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name 
and fulfill my vows day after day. You and I need the book of Psalms. We need time absorbing the language of faith. It will teach you what to pray when you don't know what to pray. It will teach you how to view God when you have forgotten who God is. It will teach you who you are when you've forgotten who you are. This is quite a journey in just eight little verses. See, that's what the language of faith does. It soaks so deep into our soul that it reaches us no matter where we are. It informs our very subconscious. Have you ever dreamed about God? We need to become fluent in faith. We need to be fluent in the language of faith when negative news headlines come at us like ocean sets, just one after the other. We need to be fluent in the language of faith when people are predicting terrible things that are up and coming in the world. We need to be fluent in the language of faith when some of those terrible things actually begin to happen. We need to be fluent in the language of faith in in weeks like this week when international crises are such that we're moved and broken, but we don't really know what to do with ourselves. And Christians are running into the mountains for their lives in Afghanistan, and I am doing landscaping, and I'm going to dinner, and I feel guilty, but then if I don't go to dinner, what do I do with myself, and how do I respond, and what difference do I actually make? We need to connect globally through this same content, different dialects, different customs, different cultures, same message, same God, same faith. We need to let faith inform our prayers. 